In Session with Dr. Farid Hulak. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Studio number again, 310-441-0555. I wanted to start off the show today talking about a documentary I saw last night, which was called Framing Britney Spears. Um, And I really wasn't sure much about what it was about other than seeing some posts on social media about her as you probably know Britney Spears is a one of the more famous pop stars especially in the early 2000s here in the United States Um, and we saw her rise from a teenager to become very very famous and well-known one of the most famous people probably around that time but then also we saw her go through some struggles and issues that were sadly very public and very much um, in the the spotlight and I'll talk a bit about that as well. And then going through some struggles, including having her children and potentially having her children taken away and all of that. So anyway, I um, watched the documentary because I saw some mental health professionals post about how there seemed to be some things that were unfair or potentially unfair about her situation. And so I decided to watch and I'll share my thoughts with you today. So um, as I mentioned, she from a very young age, she was a teenager, first even before as a child on the Mickey Mouse Club, and she um, was already in the spotlight in that way, but really became more famous when her own music career took off, I believe around the very, very late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and, and so we saw her rise to fame, and, and even when you watch this, what was interesting for me was sometimes 15, 20 years ago, but the ways they talked to her, I think we've evolved in a positive way uh, where we probably wouldn't ask these questions or I think these questions wouldn't be as okay as they were then. For example, in regular interviews, people would ask her things like, are you a virgin? Which is um, obviously a very personal question and really why should it matter? But there was a lot of controversy that she was young, but also in some ways very sexualized. Um, And then I think to counteract that, to create a certain image she had talked about being a virgin but then this would be talked about later on has she had sex or not um, or even another interview that the man asked her about her breasts and I don't know if it was the question of are your breasts real or not or why are they being shown or whatever it might have been but I think those questions would be less likely doesn't mean we've uh, overcome so much but uh, I was surprised that it seemed so okay to ask these kinds of questions not that long ago and so this part was also a reminder to me that when we look at changing language changing the ways we talk about things sometimes people feel like oh this is just uh, stupid or we're going too far and of course sometimes it does go too far especially with cancel culture and and some of the things that people are um, 
sometimes losing their careers over, I think definitely goes way too far. And I've talked a bit about that and definitely it'll be an issue I'll talk about more. But I do think it points to how the changes that we make, they're sometimes very small and imperceptible steps, but even in a short amount of time, they can make a difference. So to me, that was interesting. I was struck by the way some of the questions were asked and the the comfort that the interviewers had of asking certain questions that I think here in the United States, you would not be able to get away with that now. And I think that's actually good. That's a sign of some progress. Now, nonetheless, we see Britney Spears and she's getting famous and, and the the documentary goes through her rise to fame, but then also what started to happen in the you know 2006 2007 range she got married and then had kids and then had a divorce um, and then there was issues there and then she started to have you know issues that people were seeing in person a lot of it seemed to be because she had so much of the spotlight on her so much scrutiny about her life everything she was doing and you see the paparazzi around her as she was going anywhere and it's just you could see that that would take its toll on you, especially if you're going through a problem. For example, one night she was trying to see her children who were at her husband's or ex-husband's house and then he was refusing and this couple of cars followed her around to get pictures and to capture what was going on and eventually she snapped and uh, you maybe haven't even seen some of the famous pictures of her. She had at this point shaved her head which became a big, big deal Um, and uh, she attacks the member of the paparazzi's car with her, an umbrella and leaves you know some damage and goes away but these people are following her as she's going through some really really troubling times and really tough things about wanting to see her kids and divorce and custody issues uh, and I'm sure that unfortunately had an impact on her so right now let me make a few comments about fame itself um, because I think what we're seeing and how it contributed to her downfall is part of the same animal that makes people so famous, which I think is not good. How do we change that? It's very hard to just say, let's not make people as famous. Let's not care as much. But um, it is something to think about of what we are doing because we make people and we turn them into gods and everyone thinks they want to be famous or it's one of the most sought after things. And actually, if you ask children or teens what would you like to be when you grow up or what's most important to you they'll pick fame over happiness that's usually what people find and a lot of times I think people assume if you're famous you're going to be happy too but in a way given a choice people almost would prefer to be famous and with the advent of media but especially social media people do have the sense that I can be famous just myself not really for even having a talent or a particular uh, skill but just becoming what's considered an influencer or just whatever else it might be that makes you famous but you don't necessarily have to have some discernible skill or talent that you're contributing but you can just become famous Um, actually related to that I saw another documentary last week called fake famous I was going to maybe talk about that but looking at social media and people trying to become famous through social media but nonetheless we have this strong desire people do to become famous Um, and it's because when people become famous we think they are somehow better than everyone else we feel that we're going to feel that way the individual usually doesn't but that's the way we treat them and sadly there's a way that we dehumanize famous people 
um, which is the flip side of dehumanization. So usually when we think of dehumanization, we think of the more pernicious and more harmful way of making people feel less than human, making them like animals, making them somehow less than us humans, whatever that us and them is. And we see this anytime there's a war, or it's definitely part of things like racism. Um, and always when we've seen any type of genocide, you see that before the fact or in the buildup, there is this dehumanization of whatever that group is, that they're like animals, and you'll see this in propaganda, animals, bugs, rodents, something, um, or they're like robots, but somehow to show that because they are less than human and because they're even evil or nasty or something really bad, then it's okay uh, whatever we do to them, or actually we need to get rid of them, harm them, kill them, whatever it might be, exterminate if we're looking at them like some kind of um, insect or rodent that's infesting our country, our land, the world, we should get rid of them. And so that's usually when we think of dehumanization, we think of making people less than. But there is another side of dehumanization, which on the surface might not seem so bad, but also has harmful effects when we make people better than when we elevate them to gods and say that these people are uh, better than everyone else. We worship them. Um, just anything they do becomes important and this, they just don't exist in the realm of being human anymore. And that sounds good to idealize and worship someone. We would think, well, wouldn't we all want that? Isn't that good? But unfortunately, what then happens is these people also no longer seem to us like humans. And so we feel that we can treat them almost like objects. And so people tend to do that. When we think of celebrities, even I myself, I know I've done this. I tend to be careful of talking bad about people in general. But with, sometimes with celebrities, it can feel more okay. Like I can say something or make fun of this person or say what they did was wrong or talk about their personal life in a way that I wouldn't about someone I knew, an acquaintance, um, or just a quote-unquote regular person. So there's a way that we turn them into these objects that we enjoy and we worship and we idealize and idolize. But then also, if we want to tear them down, do whatever we want, they become objects that we can just use for fun. And so that's the flip side of that dehumanization of elevating someone is when we make them somehow larger than life, different than human, we also feel like we can treat them in ways that we wouldn't treat any other human being. And so if the paparazzi is following them around with cameras in their faces well it's okay because well that's just kind of part of how things are and people want to see their pictures so we do that and that was an interesting one for me is there was an individual um who a, a member of the paparazzi who actually i think it was his jeep that she had attacked with the umbrella and you could just see the the to me it was how human beings were so good at tricking ourselves or allowing ourselves to come to whatever conclusion feels more convenient or comfortable for us. They asked him something about, do you think she, that the, the paparazzi was a negative influence on her, influenced her in a negative way? And he said, no, he was, uh, of course, quickly to quickly defend himself. And, you know, he even said something like, you know, because she never told us to leave her alone. And then the interviewer said, well, what about when she said, leave me alone? And then he said something along the lines of, well, I mean, yeah, she said that, but she meant like for the day, like not forever kind of thing. And so it was just very obvious to me watching him trying to justify what he was doing to make it feel okay. Earlier, he had shared that he didn't even want to get into paparazzi, but the amount of money you could make, I mean, sometimes they sell these photos for, I don't know, 
five figures, six figures uh, just for one picture at times if you get something really uh, exclusive and really juicy for the gossip magazines and things. Um, and he saw how lucrative it was, and so he kind of got sucked in. And so we're very good at overcoming some kind of cognitive dissonance and saying, maybe what I'm doing is okay. And so we see that this extreme spotlight and the harassment by people uh, in the media around her, paparazzi and whatnot, definitely did not have a positive influence on what she went through. And so as we saw her deteriorate, and it was really sad, and, and even they showed, for example, talk shows joking about what she was going through from shaving her head to uh, whatever else that she was doing, just really making fun of her life as this person was really suffering, really was going through a lot. Now, we can say celebrities are asking for it, and in some ways, as I said, it's part of the same animal. What has made them so rich and get that fame and attention is part of this same animal that leads to them being treated in this way when they're on their way down, or even sometimes we want to tear them down. But it still doesn't mean that what we're doing is okay. So I don't want to just say she was only a victim. Um, of course, she would have to take responsibility for her part, but we have to look at the bigger picture. Because I know sometimes when people hear things like this, like say, oh, I'll take, you know, her types of problems of being so rich and famous and, and having to deal with that, or I'll take all that money um, and, and deal with people having cameras in my face or something like that. And that's not my point is to say, uh, was she the victim? Uh, there's some ways I think she definitely was, and I'll talk about that uh, in the next segment. But um, it's to look at the bigger picture of what are we doing as a society when we just relish and watching people's lives as they get built up, as they get torn down, not recognizing these are humans. And that's the part that I think is a problem. We shouldn't idealize them for our own benefit, but also for theirs, because then we cease to see them as human beings and whatever we do or happens to them, we don't really care. And it's really just for our entertainment and enjoyment. And that's not okay. We lose that sense of humanity of seeing people for who they are. And I think we have to be very aware of how we do that. So I do want to talk, I know we have some callers, but I do want to continue on this because some bigger issues came up that I didn't get to yet. So I'm talking about the documentary uh, that just came out called Framing Britney Spears. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in the first segment, I was talking about the documentary I saw last night called Framing Britney Spears, which looked at um, what she ex experienced, her meteoric rise to fame, and then when we saw her going through hardships and what happened and what ended up happening, uh, having some legal implications, but also related to her mental health, is what I wanted to touch on next. So uh, as I mentioned, she had two children, I believe, with uh, Kevin Federline, who was very what a highly publicized marriage and then divorce and then custody battle and all these things were going on and there was some issues of people were concerned about her mental health as we saw her going through some things and um, as I mentioned the shaving her head got really a lot of publicity but also uh, uh, she was at one point driving with her baby in her lap or holding her baby while she was driving she explained that she was being bombarded by paparazzi and trying to get out of there but nonetheless that pic picture got a lot of attention as well and um, other things that were going on people thought her mental health might be an issue and that was one thing I wish the documentary got into more because it wasn't really clear what she was going through 
um, from a mental health standpoint. They threw out some diagnoses. I think they said bipolar disorder and maybe depression, anxiety. I don't even remember, but they threw out a few, but in very just a type of uh, just blanket statements that were not directly, it seemed like based on some um, more precise diagnosis or evaluation. Um, So I don't know exactly what she was going through. She was hospitalized a few different times they talked about. Um, Some might have even been involuntarily, some might have been voluntarily. I'm not exactly sure of those details. But nonetheless, around 2008, this is where the legal um, issues were being discussed in more detail and really in a lot of ways the focus of the documentary was that she was deemed in some ways needing a conservator, meaning someone in a legal way to take over her affairs, which essentially means that the individual themselves is deemed not to be able to make the right decisions to take care of themselves and also can be potentially exploited by others or taken advantage of. And sadly, she seems clearly to have been um, even in, in the conservatorship it, itself, but in general. Um, but so essentially it's saying that you are not able to take care of yourself because you're either physically or mentally or emotionally or intellectually disabled or incapacitated in some way. So someone needs to make decisions for you. And so uh, to me, this seemed a little bit strange. She did seem to be going through mental health issues. Again, we don't know one of the these lawyers that in some way is related to the case who's saying we don't know what we don't know, which is true. So I don't know exactly what's going on. But from what you see, she's not the type of person or the individual based on what you're noticing that you would expect to have a conservator, someone who can't take care of themselves as she was working and being productive for many years after um, she was put onto this conservatorship back in 2008. And so her father, who was not, as the documentary at least painted him, involved in her life very much and did not seem to have a very good relationship with her throughout her life, um, not to diagnose him from the very brief things they showed, which might have been intentionally, you just felt this very angry and actually you felt this sense of control. She even at one point was doing kind of like a, to be funny, an imitation of her father, but was basically saying that you know, um, you know, he yells at me and if I don't do what he wants, he's upset, essentially was what I gathered from it. Um, and you, you did get that sense from how he talked. And later on hearing one of her brothers talk, there was definitely the sense that um, women should not have, not be so strong minded and not want to do what they want to do. That's even like something he said as if that was something bad. Well, the women in our family, they want to do what they, they do what they want to do, which is essentially what every human being um should do and has the right to do but i did get that sense that there was some misogyny there that um, men should be more in control and women should be more listening and so you see this happening in a legal way where her father then who as i was saying was not very involved in her life now became the conservator of the person or the person who was in charge of her or really can make all the decisions for her financially even as far as I could see professionally, she could he could commit her to do work or to do concerts or performances, um, and of course would financially benefit from it as well. And so from 2008 till now, she has been under this conservatorship, which seems to many people unfair. That why should she not have more of a control or say in her life? How could someone who is being productive or doing other things? Um, need 
a conservator. And again, we don't know what we don't know, but from the evidence I was seeing, I can't make a legal determination, but it definitely seems a little bit suspicious uh, at a minimum uh, and would be very unfair and unjust in a more extreme way for her not to have more of that control over her life. And so since then, she's been uh, in this situation. And even I know talking about it, when I was thinking of talking about this issue, it's like a pop star. People might not think of it as something really significant or important in some ways. But I thought what was important is looking at the mental health aspect of it, but also this conservatorship and what seems to be very unjust in, in that situation. So looking at the mental health aspect of things, I think it's very sad what, as I mentioned, we were seeing her possibly, if you want to say, deteriorate or really just suffering, but people didn't seem to care and were just trying to get a glimpse of it, get a picture of it, get a video of it to capitalize and profit off of her suffering and her going through this hard time. And sometimes with the lens of even short history, we see how wrong or bad something is, but then we also want to bring that lens to our present and see, well, we are still still doing those things. We're still tearing down people who are famous and not caring or enjoying, relishing in seeing them go through things. I think it's a lot of things. When they're doing well, we idealize them, but we tend to have some envy about these people who their life seems so good or easy, and we enjoy seeing them break. We enjoy seeing them suffer because it could make us feel better about ourselves. Oh, see, they weren't so good or they're crazy or they're actually not, uh, you know, better than us. And I think that's, again, the problem that I touched on in the previous segment. They're not better than us in the sense that we have to elevate them and idealize them. Individuals have certain skills and we could admire those skills, talents, abilities, and the gifts they share with us and whatever um, gifts that they are. But we should not elevate them to this type of status. So when we create that kind of godlike image and figure and treatment of people, it creates a whole bunch of things. Yes, they get attention. It feels good, but we're also envious and we don't like them. And I think that envy is part of what fuels us to want to see them do bad because envy comes in a lot of forms. One of the forms that it comes in is that I don't think I can do what you're doing. I can't be you. So I actually like to see bad things happen to you. That's the more evil or negative side of envy. There's actually some good envy. You see someone doing something good and you're like, oh, I kind of wish I was doing that. Rather than I want to tear them down so that now we're equal, I actually would like to be motivated by that to achieve that or do that myself. That could actually be a more positive side of envy. I know we think of envy as just an ugly, dark thing, but there can be some positives to it as well. It can be used in a positive way. But unfortunately, if someone is at a godlike level and you think there's no way I can get there, there can be some feeling of satisfaction to see them torn down. Let's bring them down a notch and bring them down. You know, let's put them back in their place, so to speak. But we put them in that place, that elevated space and place to begin with. And so I think that's something to be mindful of and aware of that not to look at the uh, celebrities in a elevated way and also not to think that anything you do or say about them is all right and okay and we shouldn't be aware of that. It's very easy to, to fall into that trap and that's something that we all have to be mindful of and how we are, are doing that and even how we are raising our kids and what we are teaching them is important. First of all, 
how we talk about others they see. I, I see parents, they'll talk about racist things or things that are homophobic around their children and it has a huge impact on them. They start to get affected by that. They can internalize those things. And sadly, what I've seen happen so many times is let's say they themselves, when they grow up, recognize that they are not heterosexual, they can internalize that negative judgment from their parents. Of course, they'll take it from society as well, sadly, but especially from their parents, they can already think, well, they don't like me or love me as I am. And that could be a huge problem. Uh, but even also the way you as a parent are talking about celebrities and other people in the world, that has an impact. First of all, how much you praise and idealize them and put them on a pedestal. It could sound like if you're saying nice things, that's good. But if you're actually putting people on a pedestal and making them seem that they're better than others, you're creating these hierarchies that make it very meaningful of who's who and who's better than whom or who, I don't even know which one it is, um, and where should we place people on this um, hierarchy and how we should treat people differently. And in our Iranian culture, we are very big on this. Who is the person? Oh, they're that person. We don't need to treat them with any respect. Who cares what we do to them? Oh, it's that person. Of course, yes, we're going to do whatever they want and make them feel good. And let's make sure they know that we see them in that way because we never see them as less than. And that's something I think is very harmful in our culture. We, we see hierarchies in in almost every culture, we have it to a degree, but in our Iranian culture, we make it very, very strong and rigid. Who's who and who's not worthy of our respect and who is worthy of our respect. Even when people greet each other, right? There's, I'm not so familiar with it, but I've seen it where, especially men, they introduce themselves and they say, I'm your servant, right? They use those kinds of words like no karatam and these kinds of things, right? To say, I'm so low, don't think I think I'm equal to you or above you. I think I'm so much less than you, which is seen to be a sign of respect to show how uh, you shouldn't see me also as a threat. And so I'm going to always see you in this high way. There's ways that we're actually using it in a, man in a manipulative way. I mean, I know it seems like it's just something on the surface, but there's something you're sending with that message. I'm not a threat. You don't have to worry about me. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, competing with me. I will treat you with the this way that you want to be treated but really it's because i also want to make sure one you don't attack me or make me feel uh, i'm going to be a threat to you and also maybe i'll benefit from you being in this high status but we can see how much we focus unfortunately on these types of things and i don't think it's healthy so being aware of that with your own children that we should be respectful of all people not just people who have a certain status or that will benefit us in some way all human beings deserve respect. All human beings play different roles in this life and this world. And we have to be kind to all of them. We need everyone and we want to do good things and be a good person. And that does matter. So I'm not saying we shouldn't look at what people do at all. But usually when we're looking at this type of status, it's something that you just are labeled and then you keep it right. And this is why people think, well, we are the descendants of Cyrus the Great. So we should be treated in a certain way or my family was descended from these people or uh, you know we worked with the Shah or we knew this person or that person I hear all these stories all the time people even tell me and in a way it's saying see because of who I am or who my parents were you should treat me with a certain level of respect and give me certain things but I don't think that's actually healthy we should think of it as let's be good people ourselves 
earn your own, not status, but just character, and people will see that and show your children that. It doesn't matter that because they're your kids, they should get treated better or worse than anyone else. They should be treated the way that they treat others and the way they live their lives. But anyway, coming back to this um, the documentary, I thought it was an interesting uh, look at certain aspects and the, the way the media covered her life, I think, was really sad, something that we still see. I think we should not look at anyone as better than or less than anyone else, meaning that we don't idealize them, because when we idealize them, we also open up the door to treat them as just objects that we can throw away when we no longer find them useful, and that's not okay. We always want to see that common humanity or see that they're worthy of dignity and respect, um, and as are we and as is everyone else we interact with. All right, let's go to a commercial break. We have some people on hold want to get to them. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure, thanks for calling. Uh, I have a, uh, two major questions about my 10-year-old daughter, soon to be 11, um, that I would like to get your opinion about it. Okay. Uh, first is, uh, uh, I think I'm dealing with so much of her lies, and she recently lies uh, about everything and mm-hmm. um, hide things from me. And uh, in one incident, I find out that she was watching a porn website, uh, porn movie, not watching it, but I caught her uh, when she was on, the, on that website. And I try not to show a very harsh reaction, but what I did, um, and I had a parental control on her iPad, and somehow I guess she access to my password and she was able to do that. So what I did is I completely uh, um, removed the internet from her iPad and she's now basically playing um, games, like a popular games like Roblox, Minecraft mm-hmm. on her iPad as well as the TikTok. And since she was watching uh, TikTok, I, th- I think she learned so many negative things from that website and I can see how she's um, acting towards me but um, she lies about everything like uh, one of my friends just texted me and said oh I'm sorry to hear about your dog that died and I said what what and she said my my daughter said that your daughter talked to her and she said oh yes our dog died and I said this is not true so this is just one little example mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know um, usually the lies come from the fear. And um, I, as a mom, um, I I have a temper. But uh, I try to work on my issues and um, to keep myself calm as much as I can. But sometimes it gets out of the control and I yell and scream when uh, I see she's not cleaning her room or taking the trash down and... Uh, I think I put, I don't know if I, if I did something wrong here. I, I don't know, maybe I tell her too much about things, uh, like the rules in life, and mm-hmm. um, she get exhausted or not. But that's uh, one uh, major issue that I'm dealing with, and I know she's changing, her hormonal is changing, and I 
feel like I can't survive if I don't find a way how to deal with her or how mm-hmm. to treat her nicely that we don't get in trouble, both of us. Yeah, I think that the emphasis is on treating her nicely or kindly. That's um, a big problem we have here. Just so I also know, uh, is she your only child or do you have any other children? Yes, she's my only, only child. child. Okay, so, you know, you started the conversation that the problem is that she lies, but we might want to look at the problem of how are you treating her, because that's probably more the cause of this than she's just born a liar or has lying in her genes. This is something that we've helped create. And so the yelling about the trash, I mean, the first thing is we have to recognize yelling doesn't help. It's not going to work. I think parents, we think that we feel that in the moment, that if I want to get something to happen the way I want it, and it doesn't happen when I'm saying it in a calm way, I need to yell, and then I'm going to get my way. First of all, we have to realize that's not the way. And the second thing is that your way probably doesn't matter that much. Her trash in her room or how clean her room is, it doesn't matter that much. It's not that important. Uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't care about anything, but if we make it so important, it's not going to work. And really what we're seeing is it's probably not about her trash. It's that you're getting upset that she's not listening to you. And so we have to change that mindset that it's not your daughter's job, even when she was younger, but even especially as she gets older, just to listen to what you have to say. And if we approach parenting or any kind of relationship with that mindset, we're going to set up a really ugly relationship and promote some very negative behaviors in, in whoever we're dealing with. So, well, doctor, uh, my question, uh, the thing is, like, in a, there's an expression in Persian that they say, Befarma betamak bishin. I, uh, I, we can't hear you very well. Sorry, I don't know if the... Can you hear me now? Now it's better. Yes, thank you. Yes, yes. I, I was saying that, like, in Persian that we say, Befarma betamak bishin. So I try to, when I it comes to the situation, I try to handle it in a very peaceful manner and nicely talking to her and reminding her again and again and again. But then after four or five times, when I see she's doing the same thing as I say that nicely, um, that's the point that I, it's not like I just yell at her all the time, you know, it's just, she puts me to the point that, uh, I can't, I can't choose any other way. Well, I wouldn't, yelling. I don't want, you, okay, so I, I do want to make it clear being a parent is very hard and I don't want to judge you that you ever yell at your daughter because it's not easy. But to say I have no other way, I don't agree with that either. You can get frustrated, you don't like it. But again, you're saying I like peace until as long as someone listens to me. That's not peace. So a country can't say, look, we love peace. We're never going to send a bomb as long as you do everything we tell you to do. Is that, could two countries work that way? Unfortunately, I think that's sometimes how America does work. I, I don't want to go on, that's a very different rant, but we, you can't function that way to say, I love peace as long as you do exactly what I want. That's not peace. That's tyrant. That's being a, a tyrant and saying, I'm a dictator and telling you what to do. So that doesn't mean you like, of course, everyone, no one likes war from the beginning. We prefer it to be calm, but you're saying she has to listen to what I say or else there's going to be war. And if that's how you're going to approach it, then you're going to have a lot of wars and they're going to get uglier as she gets older. So what would you recommend when, uh, if you were in my position? How would you, I mean, I don't want to give her discipline. Like when she doesn't listen, uh, what I did now is taking her iPad away. And I, do, I feel guilty for doing that. 
But I think that's the only thing she likes it. And I think by taking that away from her, maybe she do what she needs to do. But uh, I didn't see much of a good result. No, you probably won't. What, what's your goal right now? Even when you take the iPad, is what's the ultimate goal? That's a good question. My goal is, is she stay in the right track. I mean, I don't want her, her room messy. I don't want her lie to me. I mean, she lies so much. I mean, yeah. I tell her, did you make your bed? And she said, yes, I made it. And when I check her room, I see she just um, she just fixed the sheets. That's it. And she that's, that's the, the perfect analogy of what you're going to create. If you make it that she has to do something to prevent making you angry and making you mad, she'll just do it in a way that on the surface looks good to you, but deep down is not good. And that's why I was asking, what are we trying to teach her? So if we're trying to teach her, do your homework. And if you don't do your homework and I don't see it tonight finished, I'm going to yell at you. Let's just say, I mean, I know you won't say it in that way, but that's what happens. Then she's going to think, okay, how can I write on this paper? So it looks to my mom, like my homework is done, but it's not about actually getting the homework done, which it seems like that's what you're trying to promote is working hard, doing good things, but she's just going to learn how to do it to avoid the punishment. You know, if I write four sentences, my mom doesn't read the rest. So the first four sentences, I'll pretend like they're good and the rest are bad. So the, the bed is actually a perfect analogy. She'll try to make it look good on the surface, but deep down, nothing good is being really done. And we're not actually instilling the good qualities you're even saying is important. I really don't care right now if her room is messy or clean at all. To me, it means nothing. Teaching her that it could be good to be organized for yourself and cleaning things can be important, but the state of her room right now is not important in and of itself. And so if we make that something really big, then she'll find a way just to make you okay in this moment, and it's going to keep going on. And and she'll always be a step ahead of you. I think it's important, of course, you have to have the parental controls. We do need to monitor our children online because there's thing on, things on there. It's not that they're bad. And even her... I'm not saying I want her to watch that at all, what you said, a pornographic video or picture, that's not okay at all. But it's not that she's a bad person for doing it. Almost all kids and especially teenagers, they have curiosity about these things and are trying to find a way to see them. It's our role as parents to try to protect them from seeing things that they shouldn't see because it's harmful for them, both in setting up these parental controls, also talking to her about this, that you can even understand her curiosity, but there are some things that are not good for a child to see. That's why I don't want you to see it. Because uh, even that can make her feel bad about her own sexuality and being sexual as she gets older, that you shouldn't like to or be curious or want to know these things. You're bad for even thinking about it. That's one topic of it. But I really do want you to think about what am I trying to do with my child? And even when you say the right track, I'm sure you have a lot of good ideas about things that will help her but to think that you know exactly the right track for her is probably not true you will help her with some values and some guidance but overall she's going to find her way much more than you're just going to tell her what to do so to think her life is only going to be good if she follows what i tell her that mindset also is problematic yeah <clears throat> well um I 
thank you for answering of my course. first question. My second question. Well, is, and, and uh, I'll, let me. Sorry to interrupt you, but you know, I, I gave a lot of thoughts, and and I, I I did share some things, but I don't know if it's answered because it's complicated and it is hard, especially to make changes. Yeah, I don't want to make yeah. it seem simple that you just do this and it's going to be easy, especially no. because you've set up some dynamics with her, changing them, even if you 180 degrees change starting today it would take a long time for this to change because she still has that expectation from you. So it's going to be a process. Even you can talk to her about it, of saying that, you know, if I, I did get upset sometimes and I don't think that's okay. I did. Okay, I, you good. Know, doctor, I, many times uh, when I yell, uh, <laughs> um, when I'm calm, I bring her down downstairs and I sit and I said, I apologize for what I did. And, uh, you know, you put me to the point, I didn't mean to, I still love you, I just didn't like your uh, action, or, I see with her a lot. But, but let me, let me, st- if I can stop you there for a second with your please. apology. Two things. One is, um, you took me to this point means it's your fault that I yelled at you, not, it was my responsibility not to yell at you. That's very, very important, right? So if someone says, I'm sorry, I burned your house down, you just made me so angry, so... Um, but that's why I burned your house down. You would not say that's okay. You would say, well, you still can't do that. So to tell her, I'm sorry, but you made me do it. You're blaming her for your behavior. You're saying you made me yell at you. So it's not really an apology. And the other aspect that can interfere with how she'll take that apology is, you know, you'll, you'll hear people say, and I think there's a lot of truth to it, that the greatest apology is changed behavior. So if I say, I'm so sorry I was late, and then tomorrow I'm late, oh, I'm so sorry, and then tomorrow, tomorrow, every day I'm late, you don't really think I'm sorry. You don't think I care that much, or else I would change my behavior. So you have to also show her you're sorry, because a big part of sorry is I don't want to do this again if I thought it was wrong. But that's also why when you blame her, it's like, well, I don't want to do this again, so don't make me have to yell at you because you're being so bad. So you're blaming her and putting all the responsibility on her and really not taking the responsibility. It's up to me not to yell at you not it's up to you to make me not yell at you true i agree but um doctor my fear is uh, like you say uh, it's not a it's not important if she's not making her bed or Mm -hmm. clean her room i'm afraid uh, she grew like this and um you know when she is in her like 18 19 this is what i have i will still deal with it that's what I thought in early age I can train her to keep her room clean like I show her look at my bedroom is always clean my bed is always made and um, this is what I'm trying to do but by, when you say um, is not important much important at this time that she keeps her room clean uh, it, I'm afraid she continue growing this way you well, know well you know you use the word train which sounds like we're talking about some dog and so she's not she's not a doctor <laughs> trained her. Say that, yes. Yeah. And so we have to be aware of that, that again, but that does show some of the mindset that you see it is that she, I have to fix her path and then, you know, she's going to do what I think is right. Um, but what you brought up, I think, is important because usually control, it comes from anxiety. You're, what if when she's 18, she, I don't even know what, I mean, like, let's say she does, you know, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say this. I didn't make my bed this morning. My bed right now at my home is not made. So um, uh, maybe I shouldn't admit that. Maybe to you, that sounds really bad, but I didn't make my bed today. So it's okay. I mean, I think it's okay not just to say it because I didn't make my bed, that her bed, yeah. let's say she doesn't make it when she's 18. But what is the fear there that she's going to be what? What's your fear? 
I don't know. I fear, I have fear that uh, she may not be well organized in her adult life. And um, then the blame will come all to her mother that, oh, maybe her mom did not teach her these things. You know, it's very common in Persian culture when they say these things. I'm just a so, have So, but just look at what I, I know. I'm, I appreciate you being open. I don't mean to nitpick every word you're saying. But what you just said is, I want her to clean her room. So that when she's adult, she'll clean her room because if she doesn't clean her room, other people will tell me that I was a bad mom. Yes. So we should yell at her now to make sure that doesn't happen. Yes, I understand. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's why I think it's good to look at what's the anxiety. And I'm sure it's not just about other people. I'm sure you worry about her, too. But, you know, and that's actually this, it, it, what you're bringing up is also an interesting point that sometimes this also goes to control. We think that if we want a certain result, what that means is I have to do more. So I don't want her to be messy. So that means I have to do even more today, extra, extra things, yell at her, push her, do all this stuff to make sure it doesn't happen. A lot of things in life, when it comes to growth, we have to take a step back, not actually get more involved and do more. So I want my kid to be a good student. So every day I'm going to ask them 80 times if they're doing their homework because I, I care about this. I'm doing more because anxiety always makes us want to control. So control means I have to do more to get that order. But sometimes we don't realize that by doing more, we're actually damaging and hurting whatever it is we're trying to even create or contribute to. By asking her if she did her homework a hundred times a day, it actually would likely interfere with her developing to be a good student to take those things seriously. So it, it seems that you're trying to almost do too much and you're building up the anxiety makes you worry too much about the moment that did she make her bed today? Okay, did she make her bed today or not is not that important. And even it shouldn't be, you know, the way you're talking about it, there is already the setup of kind of police and criminal or, um, you know, jail, you know, prisoner and yeah. the jail guard. That's it's never the right way to create a dynamic. We want you and her are on the same team. You're not against each other. And this happens with a lot of parents. And it's, it's the way a lot of people think of how parenting needs to be is kids want to do bad things and they're bad and they're going to do bad things. And the parents has to set them straight and teach them and with force, get them to do the right things because they're going to do bad. And I, I wholeheartedly disagree with that mindset. They are they like to do good things. Kids like to have their homework done. They don't dislike it. But like all of us doing work in the moment can be tough. Every one of us, you, me, we could have done things yesterday that would have been better for us that we didn't do. That's just part of being human. So we can't say, how did you not do this thing that's good to you to our kids when we realize we can't even get ourselves to do a lot of things that are good. So kids like to have their homework done. It's a good feeling to get it done, to get the good grade. They feel more comfortable. They feel more confident. But sometimes they might struggle to get it done because they're humans and even they're littler humans that might have a harder time with certain things than even adults do. But even as adults, we sometimes put our work off and things. So we, we don't want to approach them with this mindset that they should do it right all the time. Um, I do want to continue. I know we almost wrapped up, but I did want to give you a chance to share some more. And we're at a commercial sure. break. So just hold on and we'll talk a bit after the break. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to her now. Caller, are you still there? Yes. Okay. Um, I, uh, I think several months ago when my daughter started her puberty, mm -hmm. she 
uh, one night she came and she said, Mommy, I don't like my body and mm. I don't like these changes. And um, she, the way she was looking at herself was so down. And I tried to talk to her to say that you're changing, you, you know, and mm-hmm. all of the talking that I need to talk to a little girl about her yeah. uh, puberty. And um, after a couple of weeks, she came to me and uh, she said that, uh, mommy, I need to share something with you that I, I had it in my mind for the last eight months and I wasn't comfortable to share with you, but now I want to share it and I just want to let you know if uh, you're going to get upset or not. And I said, mm-hmm. no, I would never get upset and whatever it is, I, I'll support you and I will love you. So she told me that I am bi and uh, it means that um, I want to I want to be a transgender or bi, whatever. I mean, my mind to be honest that moment was freezing when she was telling me this mm-hmm. and um and i just uh let her talk and she said uh i like men and women and um all of that and i tried just not to say anything and i let it go and she she when she slept that night i could not sleep so the next day i contact your father mm-hmm. and um i talked to dr holakui and I basically explained what's going on, and he told me that um, not to take it too serious, 70% is nothing, it might be 30%, and um, try not to bring the subject up anymore, and this is just her age, and this will go, and I try to follow what your father told me, but it's been two months, Dr. Holakui, that um, any chance she gets, and uh, she comes to me and she says, oh, I don't want to do this because I'm bi, I'm bi. And, you know, and uh, lately I show my uh, anger face towards her. I don't say anything about it. I show my anger and um, she's like, I said, okay, you need to make your hair look nicer. We are going, oh, I don't, I want hair like this. And she, all she wants to do is wearing a hoodie. And I said, you know, you're a girl, just make your hair look more presentable instead of wearing hoodies all the time. And um, the, the way she shut me down is like, oh, I'm boy, I want to dress like this. So she dressed like a, a black pants and dark clothes, like uh, mm-hmm. either white or black and no any other colors, maybe sometimes gray or blue. But she hates purple, pink, you know, any of those fancy colors. And, Doctor, I am now to the point that this, um, her action stays with me every single day. And I do have a higher respect for, you know, different groups and all of that. But for me, accepting this fact that what if she turns to be a transgender or bisexual, I can't take it. I, I okay. mean, it's a nightmare. Believe me, at mm. night I cannot sleep because I'm thinking too much about that. So, let me share. There's a lot of thoughts I had. I wanted to let you finish what you were saying because there's a lot there, but I had so many thoughts. And of course, you know, you said you spoke to my father and he, he had his opinion. And I'll share some of my thoughts. They won't maybe exactly align. And to be honest, there's no um, exact answer here. There's no black and white that you have to exactly do this. But since I'm speaking with you, I will share my thoughts with you about the situation and how I would give some thoughts on how to handle it. 
Um, so to begin with, going back to this issue of control, you cannot control your daughter's sexual identity. You have 0% control over that based on what you do. The only thing you can possibly do is make her like herself and like you less. So when it comes to her sexual identity, you can't make her straight or bi and any of those things. That's not going to be up to you. But you can affect how does she feel about herself and how open will she be about whatever she's going through. And also related to that, how she's going to feel about herself. So you have to completely take this out of your mind that I'm going to either make my daughter straight or bi or I have some control over this. Completely just that does not exist at all. It's like saying I'm going to change right now her hair color other than dyeing it, but I mean her natural hair color. You can't change that. So you have to take yourself away from that completely that your next decision is going to make her one way or the other. If I make her make her hair nice, she's going to become straight or something like that is not at all anything real. What you're trying to do is you're too anxious about this. You need to work on this for yourself. And also another thing you're going to have to do is educate yourself more just by the way you were saying bisexual or trans as if they're the same thing shows that you need to be more aware of these issues. Bisexual would mean being attracted to both ma male and female. Transgender would mean that you are not wanting to be or don't feel or identify with the sex that you were born. If you were male by birth, you feel like a woman or vice versa. So those things are not the same. There's sometimes overlap that, for example, people who might be lesbian might dress more or act more masculine, let's say, but that's not even all, always the case. People can be lesbian and still be very feminine. So there's some overlap and they're intersected, but they're not just one and the same. So again, you're not at all going to change um, her sexual identity or her personal identity or gender identity, which are two different things. Sexual identity is who you're attracted to. Gender identity is how you see yourself, which would be where trans would fall under that category. Um, and as far as talking to her or not, I wouldn't force the conversation, but I would very much make it okay for her to talk about it. And her constantly telling you, I'm bi, I'm bi, in all these different ways, it's her way of saying, uh, why don't you see me as I am, or accept me the way I am, or allow me to talk about this. So my recommendation, it's not that you have to sit her down and talk about it all the time and force her to talk about it, but very much make it an okay conversation to talk about. You know, she's, you said she's 10, about to turn 11, right? Yeah. Okay. So she she still is going to be figuring herself out. It doesn't mean we know that she won't be bi or she will be bi or any of those things, but that she's still figuring it out and that's going to be her process and her journey. The only thing you can do is interfere with that process. You can't change the direction it's going to go. Um, and even when you said I maybe it's nothing, well, nothing means you're showing very clearly your biases that you want her to be heterosexual and not transgender and have that certain no, the expectation. No, the reason I say that, doctor, is because I feel like things they are changing, and like um, I feel like whatever she said in this age maybe is not one hundred percent definite, and uh, you know, or is not like exactly mm -hmm. what she's saying. I feel like she's like like the lies that she said. I 
I feel like she just tries can to you, play sorry, game with me. If you me. could speak a little bit louder. I don't know if louder. I'm on denial or not. Yeah, and it, if you could speak a little bit louder or move the speaker, sometimes it gets a little quiet at times. That just um, I'm getting yeah, it from the Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, it's better now when you do that. I appreciate yes. it. Yes, uh, but sure. I, I wouldn't take, you know... Is she trying to mess with it? You know, even if she is. So your concern is if you take it seriously, you're feeding into her lie? No, I want to know. Um, I want to know exactly if this is um, what, what she tells me. Do you think this is exactly who she is? Or when as she grew up, she may change her she, mind? She I might. Don't know she might. I don't, I don't know. And, may, and she doesn't know how she's going to feel later. She can tell you how she's feeling now. And so it's not that you have to act on something but if she wants to talk to you about it i would let her and when it comes to how she dresses how she does her hair i mean you know from what you're sharing in different glimpses there's lots of ways that you try to control her you're not going to control her into becoming who you want her to be and who you want her to be isn't going to be what's best for her both because you don't necessarily have this uh, monopoly on knowing how people should be and each individual is unique and needs to have the space to become themselves, not you tell them to become something. So, you know, with her hair, you said, quote unquote, more presentable or because you're a girl, I, I think I would give her that space to figure those things out, not tell her how she needs to do her hair and what's okay and not okay. The only thing I'm seeing is that you're going to push her more away from you and make her feel worse about herself. Let her be who she wants to be. Give her that space to talk to you if she wants. The only thing is she'll either go up, she'll either figure this out in her room and with her friends, or you can be part of that process. But it's not that you're going to make her become this or that. Now, coming back to what you said, I can't handle, let's say if she was bisexual, when you say you can't handle that, what do you mean? It's hard. It's really hard because I always feel that since I have this only child, you know, she's, I mean, I just, I can't take it. I, 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 it doesn't go, it doesn't register in my mind. I cannot accept it, doctor. Uh, like I said, uh, I support her. Her dad support her big time. Mm -hmm. And um, But I cannot, I can uh, even I pretend in front of her dad, to be honest, because I'm afraid. Uh, her, I don't want her dad knows my true feeling about this. But uh, in reality, I cannot accept this. Because of I what? Always I don't know why. I don't know why I cannot accept mm -hmm. it, but I just want to see her as a girl that, you know, she's uh, acting more feminine and, you know, like any other girl. Well, not that's so, not like any other girl. That's like there are girls that act that way, but not everyone acts that way. Everyone, um, we have our biases, and I'm not saying you're not, most people, a lot of people do think these ways about these things, but we're seeing that these judgments that we have are not really based on some kind of full reality, or more importantly to me is that everyone should have the space to be how they want to be. I do this whole show and I talk about feelings. A lot of people would say, and even especially historically, that a man should not care about emotions and feelings, and this is really bad or, or not manly to talk about these things. So should I cancel my show now? Because some men think that it's not appropriate for a man to talk about feelings the ways we create these ideas or even in our persian culture well the wife should not work that's kind of thing and they should just be in the kitchen and have not as much power do you think those are good things about what a woman should be like these are cultural types of ideas that we have i'm not saying there's nothing biological going on there is but when you're saying be like a girl 
you have this feeling about it that it's so real and strong and right, but you have to also recognize these are cultural things that we've learned. They're not something that's better or worse necessarily, that she has to be this way. Should she not go to school anymore because girls shouldn't learn? Because that's what we've seen in society or history or even in some countries. I obviously don't think so. So your assumptions about what it means to be a girl even you have to recognize are not based on some type of absolute right, correct thing. Um, Doctor, based on the information I gave you about my daughter, what books or any online sources do you recommend me to read more about it so I, I know how to do deal with her and you know in a right way you know just to have a like you say many uh, like my mom says she said the way you're acting she's gonna you know she's gonna get away from you and get more close to her friends so I'm trying to see what books I can read to help me to be a better mom for her. Well, I mean, I'm sure you're doing a lot of good as a mom already, but I'm glad you want to work on that. Um, I'm trying to think of specific books. There probably are some. I would recommend going to your own therapy. I think it's good for everyone. But you mentioned the anger and the anxiety, and they're very much tied together, and that's a big part of your parenting. But overall, the sense is what we want to get her to see, especially when it comes to her identity. She tells you, Mom, I like women, okay? I like men, okay? Whatever she tells you, show her at least initially you're okay with it, and then you have to deal with your feelings about it. It's not for her to deal with what you're going through. Well, mom doesn't like this, so don't be that way. It's not going to work. So I never say that to her. No, I know, I but you're showing I, her. Yeah. But these faces yeah. you're saying you're making to her, so you're not verbalizing it, but you're showing her, I don't want you to be the way you want yourself to be. Okay. So if she wants to do her hairs, I mean, and especially, again, I'm not saying this to give you comfort that she's going to all of a sudden at some age become whatever type of woman or girl you want her to be. But people, they, it's good. We need her to, it's okay to experiment a little with her hair and her style and those things. Let her go through that. That's, that's okay. A lot of our, you know, what I see in the Persian cultures, we force people to fit a certain mold from a very young age and they never get the the space and the opportunity to actually explore different things because we know this is how a boy should dress. This is how a girl should dress. Don't even think about dressing some other way. And we think that's good. But we're not allowing people to express who they are. My, my personal feeling about this, because people will say things, well, now everyone wants men to be like women and women to be like men or whatever it is. It's that we should allow people to be who they want to be, that they have that space to be whatever is traditionally considered more masculine or feminine, that it's not closed off, that a woman can obviously work and do whatever it is that before they thought they couldn't do. And if a man wants to be nurturing or loving in a certain way that was thought not to be okay, they should have that space too, if they want to. We're not going to dictate now that everyone should be uh, this way or that way, but they should have that space. And I would want your daughter to have that space to figure out who she is and who she wants to be, and that you're not going to tell her who she is. Your role is to show her that I love you no matter who you are. I love you no matter how you identify your sexuality, your sexual orientation, your gender identity. Whoever you are, I love you. That's your role is to love her, not to make her become a certain person or a certain type of person. You're supposed to give sure. her that sense. Yes. 
Doctor, do you recommend me to take her to any therapy or I should just go for for me? I would go for you, especially because my okay. concern is the way you're saying it, you would want her to go to kind of figure this out or something. And if she said, I want to go to therapy, let's let's help her find a therapist. That's great. But I wouldn't tell her you need to go see a therapist, especially in light of her sharing these things. She might take it as you saying something's now wrong with you, with what you're telling I me. See. And uh, we got to fix this. And so that would be my concern. So if she tells you or right. it comes up, but I would recommend, you know, going to your own therapy. These are big issues and um, not just in the Iranian culture, but in every culture when these things of sexual identity and sexual orientation come up with people's kids, they have reactions. And I know I, I made it seem so simple, but parents have you have these without even knowing it. You have expectations of your child. And then when things start happening, it, it could be tough to deal with of, oh, I thought she would, you know, I always imagined her as this, let's say, bride, but maybe she doesn't want to do that now or whatever it is. And that could be um, tough to deal with. So it's, it is challenging. I hope you will look at and face those issues. And as I said, for me, just looking and thinking about your daughter, it's just giving her that space and showing her I love you for being who you are, not to become okay, who I want you to be. Last question. Yes. Um, if you don't mind, I will uh, listen to your uh, radio station, I mean, to your segment today. If you recall the name of a book, um, if you can share it so I can yeah, go I'm get it and read more about it. But what's your is your thought that how do I do what like what's your uh, i kind of get i just want to be a good parent i just want to <laughs> know i don't want to turn i don't want to get in trouble with her when she turns 12 13 teenage time it's the worst time for uh, for her so i try to prepare myself how to handle before you know yeah she hits that age this is what is my biggest concern yeah so i mean as i was saying the the biggest thing is going to be changing the mindset away from okay. getting her to do certain things or be a certain way to accepting mm -hmm. her as she is. And it's going to take time because right now, I'm sure your daughter doesn't think she can come talk to you about everything. Even the way she said, I didn't tell you for eight months or however long. I would right. emphasize, thank you so much for sharing that with me. And I don't know if you necessarily have to say sorry or but if some way letting her know, and I'm sorry if in any way I made you feel like you couldn't tell me something like this because it's so important for me for you to know that you can tell me anything and you can tell me if I even respond in a way you don't like. So I would emphasize that really valuing that she shared this with you. I think it was tough for you because what she shared with you, you didn't like or it was hard for you to take. So you probably didn't emphasize so much that you're glad she shared this with you because in a way you were trying to say, I hope what you shared with me wasn't really that real. So maybe we'll both forget about it. But I would emphasize that. I Thank you so much. And I'm sorry if I ever make you feel or you can even ask her. Why is it hard for you? Do I ever make it hard for you to tell me? I'm sure she has reasons because you've even shared them yourself. But you need to start changing the dynamic between you and her that you are not her, you know, coach or even more like dictator. And you are someone who's a parent who is a support and you will help give her the environment she needs to grow. But you're not going to force her to become something. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for calling. I appreciate uh, the issues you brought. It's 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 a lot of challenges, but I wish you the best and the best to your daughter. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. You too. Take care. All right. Let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Fahey. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. 
Um, so I'm 38. Maybe just a little bit of background. So I'm 38. I'm the youngest kid uh, in a family uh, in, a, in a family of three kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, my older sister is 11 years older than me, and my uh, lives in the states. Brother is eight years older. Lives in the same city with me. Uh, married and has uh, his own family. So I'm the uh, primary caregiver for my mom, who is in her mid 70s um, and is widowed. My my dad passed away many years ago. Um, for as long as I know myself, I've been, um, you know, uh, anxious and have a very negative um, personality orientation towards um, negative thoughts or negative events. And this is very consistent with my mom's uh, anxiety uh, and some kind of obsession issues that she's had all her life. And it's only got, got worse as, as she's got older. Um, so through, you know, therapy, medication, yoga, social circle, and, and what have you, I'm making progress mm-hmm. um, on some fronts. But um, what remains unresolved for me really is this attachment that I have to my mom. It's this unhealthy attachment that your dad um, refers to as one of the key issues with our culture. Um, the The key, you know example of this would be when mom is dealing with you know sickness health issues or or anxiety towards my brother that's actually very significant in her um i almost feel like i'm responsible for her feelings and experience mm-hmm. i feel like i have to find a solution i'm um i've found myself all my life trying to be proactive to mitigate uh, and avoid um, any kind of uh, issues that can arise just so that the anxiety feelings in her doesn't come up to surface and leak over to me and my life. And I've been trying to manage my life, my career. I've done, done okay um, so far in terms of education and career. But this this part of my life in trying to establish a healthier attachment to her remains unsolved. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if I can get some directions sure. from you on that. Uh, yeah, so what, um, and just so I understand when you say you're her caretaker, what are her, you know, needs? What 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 does she, I know you're saying, you talked about the emotional things you try to do, but mm-hmm. as far as, is there some medical concerns or issues that makes you have to be more involved? Um, not really. I mean, uh, my therapist re- keeps reminding me that I, um, uh, you know, fragilize her more than mm-hmm. she needs to be. She's independent, lives by herself, uh, is overall capable of uh, taking care of herself, her, herself, except I'm, you know, the, you know, the translator taking her to her doctor appointment, um, or, you know, I'm the one checking up on her, helping her with whatever she needs. Uh, because my sister is in the States and my brother has a different kind of job where he has to be on the road nine hours a day and just not doesn't have that work-life balance or flexibility to pitch in as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and this role um, has become really my sole mandate in life and in my family since I lost my dad. And since I've become an adult, I've just always been... The, you know, front and center, taking care of mom and yeah. trying to address all her needs. So this is, you know, and even it's interesting. You said your therapist says that because the feeling I got when you first just were describing the scenario in a snapshot was that your mom was really 
um, struggling and needed a lot of, you know, regular care and support from you. So there probably is something to that. That's how you feel about her is that she, you probably think she needs you more than she does or that you need to be there more than she does. And so the feeling I also get from you is that in some ways it's like she's your child. And so what mm-hmm. often happens, and we see this a lot, not just obviously in the Persian culture, but in a lot of families, but when you feel like you already have a child, it seems like your life, there isn't anything else for you to do or as far as pursuing your own. If I mean, I didn't ask you yet, mm-hmm. wanting to get married or have children of your own, you're already a mom. So you, you don't have that thought or that desire to keep doing something else because you already have the sense of a responsibility, but the responsibility might be more in your mind or feelings than is actually what is uh, needed or asked of you. And so that's something that for you to look at, because I get the sense that you you feel very um, comfortable with this way of things the way they are, but it's more of a way of just surviving than actually living your life. You know, you found a surviving strategy rather than a living strategy, and it can be very hard to change those things. Um, but you might feel that I, I can't, I can't change it. This is what's needed of me, and you feel bad. Uh, there's a guilt of not taking care of your mom and taking care of. It, it seems like it's a very strong desire of even controlling her feelings, making sure she doesn't get too upset. Um, and you know where this could be coming from is our parents especially and very often the mom is the generally the primary caregiver and caretaker we can have this sense that if they are okay i'm okay and conversely if they're not okay like if they're you know emotionally not okay i'm going to be essentially even dead i can't survive without them so it seems like you still have this sense that i have to even make sure my mom doesn't get upset and if you put that kind of responsibility and pressure on yourself first of all you can never really succeed because people always will have various feelings but then also you put this extra burden on yourself to constantly be aware of what she's going through to make sure there's no uncomfortable or negative feelings she experiences and that is going to be all consuming that there there isn't you know any way around that then to make it you know take over your whole life and that seems to be um what you are Uh, experiencing with her so do you feel like you recognize there is this strong desire and need to to take care of her in an extensive way Uh, absolutely I mean you were right on I purposefully I think delayed um, starting a family so I'm married now I've been married for uh, two and a half years I uh, married a wonderful guy who who was uh, divorced and had has two beautiful daughters from his previous marriage. And um, all my adult life, growing up as a woman, I thought I would never want to have a child of my own. Um, I don't know if it, it resonates because I'm, you know, the last child, uh, huge age gap with my siblings. Um, and also the responsibility and the role that I brought on myself to have to be the primary caregiver even, you know, when mm. it's not absolutely needed. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've delayed that, and of course I'm 38 and it's kind of late. Um, my husband has two kids from his previous marriage. We're thinking, and now I'm the one saying, hey, you know, I told you I don't really want a kid, but maybe I do. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm finding myself in that predicament. But um, regarding your question about um, not wanting to have mom go through anything because then I cannot deal with myself when she's upset, I, I I've 
made some headways on that, working through um, therapy and, and self reflection that yes that is absolutely correct i try to be vigilant and super super uh, obsessive to make sure that everything around her including my brother's life circumstances are taken care of so hmm. she doesn't have any issues and as a result i don't have to deal with the feelings and the burden of her not being okay i'm yeah. sorry it's it's really complex thing no no no, actually, I mean, that was fair. That wasn't so... Com- I mean, I think it's complex to deal with it, but you explained it in a way it made, made sense. Um, and I think that's the complexity is that you're trying to com- control so many things that it's impossible. That's the complicated part. It's impossible to control all of that. And so when that happens, it's going to take over your life. Now, uh, I didn't ask about you being married. I probably should have, and that's um, important. But, uh, you know, realizing that you might want kids of your own, that's really, really important. The window is not closed, but there are logistical issues uh, that we have to be aware of. And I wouldn't want you to miss that opportunity. And, and sometimes we we sometimes don't make a decision long enough, real, not realizing we're making a decision. And then, oh, well, I just can't have a kid because it's too late. And then we might feel a relief, at least that we can't. But we might also feel regret and we wouldn't want you to, to have to live with that regret. Um, does your, I mean, I'm sure these things are complicated, so it's not to blame, but really to understand. Does your mom in some way, how do you think, she, does she give you the sense you need to be there the way that you are? What, what's, what's that dynamic like? Um, at least what she verbalizes to me is that, um, you know, her focus is for me to have a strong and healthy marriage. She wants me to um, take more time uh, on myself and, and do what's needed in my own life. But um, just to give you an example, every day during COVID, um, we, we are in, in our own bubble, so it's just three of us, myself, my husband, and my mom, that we socialize and, and meet uh, a few times a week. I, and we both work from home, so I feel safe doing that. Um, I, every day, I've made it a habit to go and spend an hour or two with her, and she doesn't live far, she's five, a five-minute drive. But some days I find um, work has taken a toll or I just want to just want to be by myself, do, do some yoga. And I'm all, obviously also conscious of the fact that I have to balance the time I spend with her against the time I spend at home with my husband. So it's, it adds to the stress. Um, so I pick up myself and so I say to myself, okay, tonight I've gone. Probably tomorrow I'll take a day off and just talk to her on the phone, and I'm sure she'll be okay. But I find myself doing the same thing day after day, picking myself up, going for a visit. I enjoy seeing her. I try to give her some exercises. I feel like I've checked off that box where mom did some exercises. She's not all alone by herself, so that's good. Then, Therefore, I should feel good about this. Mm. Yeah, so it shows how much... You, you know, there's that such a strong sense of responsibility uh, of making sure she's okay, but it's 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 a lot. You know, what you're describing to me, that's probably too much for you to be able to live your own life if you're so consumed with, did I do enough for her today? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're saying she tells you that you have and doesn't want you to be as worried, but you it's hard for you to shake that sense of that responsibility that I have to do do even more for her. Um, and so you have some awareness of it, even the way you're talking about it, clearly. But changing that and changing the feeling and then leading to that to change your behaviors is, is not easy. And that's where you're struggling of 
what can I do? What what do you even see as a solution? Or if you think six months from now and things are better in this regard, what does that look like to you? Um, so pr- prior to COVID, since um, we got married, I basically made it a more like a schedule where we would we would go over for dinner at her place once a week. She would come over to our place once a week. Uh, um, for a dinner I'm saying so so that would be a dinner over at hers dinner over at ours and then I would um, go to grocery with her which was kind of a fun thing for us to do together mm-hmm. or go for walks um, so I would say of the seven days a week I would see her four to five days I would have two days where I didn't have to uh, go meet with her I could hang out with my own friends but even the way you say I didn't have to it's you know it clearly does feel like an obligation um more than something you want to do i mean i'm sure you want Mm -hmm. to take care of her and and love her but the way you're describing it it does seem like this obligation responsibility and clearly it does seem like you take that on more than you need to you know we're at a commercial break but i do want to continue our conversation so just hold on the line and we'll explore this a little bit more after the break okay thank you all right we'll be right back back before the break we're with a caller let's go back to her now caller are you still there yes i am okay so before the break you were sharing about um your situation and even it does seem the fact that you called i know you're going to therapy as well there does seem to be almost uh you want things to change but also a permission of sorts because you feel this responsibility and you know that you might feel some guilt if you stop doing as much as you're doing um, so I, I wonder if that there's that aspect too of thinking, is it okay for me to do less? Um, would I be doing something okay or that's something I don't have to feel guilty about? I'm not sure if that makes sense. It does, and it's, uh, it's, it's right on. I, I mean, the guilt has always been uh, a constant. Uh, for mm. me, it, it's always been very significant. Um, for example... When mom is feeling anxious about my brother's life decisions that are at times suboptimal, um, I would feel guilty. I would feel guilty why I have a more stable job and Hmm. well-balanced life circumstance and my brother doesn't. I don't know. I just feel guilty about that and I've... So many times I had to, for, for just to give you a very tangible example, I would literally not disclose um, the trips I would take with my husband or or the restaurants I would go just because I would feel guilty that my brother could probably not afford doing that. It's, you know, it's, it's been difficult. It's been, the guilt has absolutely been there for me. Forever. Yeah, I mean... The- it seems like there's not it's, it's it's extreme it's not just guilt it's that you're not even allowed to enjoy things um mm-hmm. your enjoyment is somehow bad unless everyone else already enjoys to that level or more that you're not allowed to have uh, anything and yeah that's pretty pretty strong um feelings of guilt that you carry but really that even enjoying something is not okay L- looking at your family growing up and you know since you've gone to therapy you maybe have already understood some of this how do you see that that role developed in your family that you were not supposed to 
enjoy or have things in your life that you had to feel guilty about about that? I mean, I would say, um, so I lost my dad when I was borderline 19, 18, 19, and, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a huge loss for me. I, I'm being told that that was uh, a significant trauma-like uh, experience that remains unresolved, and I can, I can see my voice is changing mm-hmm. just even talking about him. Um, after I lost him and we moved uh, away from Iran, we moved uh, out of Iran, the, the gap between my life path, uh, education and career just widened. Um, the gap between you know me and my brother and my sister. Um, and given my mom's anxiety and obsession towards my brother that again, discovering through therapy, I've learned that that is, you know, um, chronicle type of uh, anxiety that she has towards him for whatever reason. Um, The gap has widened such that um, we are in very different life stages. Hmm. Since that has happened, I feel like I, I... have to feel ashamed and I have to over over time I felt more guilty and ashamed about this gap yeah and it's almost like you're punishing yourself in different ways Mm -hmm. you said shame but also that I have to you know pay more of this price I know you said your um, uh, mom uh, brother's job has something to do with it but it does seem like you take on almost like as a punishment I shouldn't be as okay and and, and that's going to be something I'm glad you're going to therapy to slowly work on that because it'll take time to change that feeling. But realizing mm-hmm. you're allowed to enjoy your life and love your life and feel good, especially when you're doing things to, to give yourself that. It's not something bad or anything to feel guilty about. But the feeling seems very strong and automatic that you carry with you, that if you're enjoying something, you, you should feel bad about it if someone else is not and we do tend to identify especially with siblings but it seems like with your brother you, you take on so much of his feeling and his experience um that there's a, this sense that if i'm enjoying something he's not i i don't deserve that when you were a kid did that happen at all this feeling that they would favor you or didn't like him in some way did you feel any of that I, I certainly felt that my mom was always more um, controlling of my brother, and as a result, my dad was more towards his daughter. So it was a huge loss for me and my sister to to lose him and to have to lose that um, support. <laughs> that that's how that dynamic was being balanced, and um, you know, not that my mom doesn't like me. She she really very much. Like emotionally depends on me and we are very close and tight but as I said in the beginning I think this is a very unhealthy attachment that has formed over the years that I have yeah. to somehow work to dismantle or change yeah and there, I mean this element or this dynamic with your brother I think is also important there does seem to be this this guilt and and maybe I know you're saying she was more involved with him but it seems like in some negative ways she was more controlling of him um, and so it does seem like you carry around his his burden or what he experiences that somehow uh, that's that's on you. And and we see this with siblings in a young age. Sometimes we would think, well, 
if you favor one child, that child should feel better. And in some ways they do, but they also carry a guilt with that. They can feel guilty seeing their sibling um, being treated more poorly or being less favored to them. So it creates this mixed feeling. It's not not just a good thing. So you might have had some of that, that seeing that when you're saying she would control him more, usually that means there's more criticism or negativity there as well. So you might have felt that from a young age that he is somehow... Um, you know, things are unfair towards him and you carry this almost like you're still trying to make it right, even though you weren't the one who created that dynamic to begin with. Uh, there could be, there could be some of that. Um, controlling more, uh, maybe that was, uh, you know, uh, um, not the best use of words uh, to, to describe that, but controlling, yes, in, in that every decision he made, my mom was involved front and center and she still is mm-hmm. even though he's married um, she worries and controls and tries to influence a lot of his decisions he tries to push back uh, but um, sometimes it becomes a losing battle because she she wouldn't let go mm. um, simple stuff uh, as in for example <laughs> It's silly, so I would just spare you from that. But no, it's okay. Um, I mean, what what was it? I, it seems <laughs> it stuck out to you. So what was that? Choice of clothing. Uh, yeah. He works outdoors, so you're gonna catch a cold. You have to wear this hat. You have to, and and you know she she will not let go until he buys that hat or the winter gear. Um, a lot of anxiety. Yeah, and so I'm sure you have that anxiety. You'll carry it also, and you'll also. Um, it creates this culture in the family of controlling that you know you need to control things and so uh, you know the mother that called earlier today was it's different obviously but there still is this sense always that you need to do more and more and more because you you can control it and you're supposed to control it so um, letting things just be is not okay or you're being mm-hmm. uh, you feel guilty if you just let things be you're not doing enough so it, it seems like you have a lot of that with with her and trying to make things better then also even you know look at how much you're trying to control he has to look okay uh, you know he has to feel okay about his life and, and look good so I have to make sure I, you know there's a lot of just trying to control everything you're trying to orchestrate everything and when we do that of course you're going to get paralyzed in pursuing a lot of things in your own life because you have to control so much so I think that is important for you to, to look at that more and more and you know in these last few minutes I did want to talk about you know this wanting to have a child tell me about that desire of having a, a child what do you feel sure so you know, for as long as I've known myself, um, especially after I lost my dad, I felt uh, that I didn't want to have a kid. I felt nothing special about myself uh, growing up in Iran during the war and watching my mom being so uh, bogged down by her anxiety that she was, uh, at the time, unfortunately, not really seeking any help on. Um, and, and, and also maybe the age gap with my siblings so I lived through my 20s, um, you know, and early 30s, I, I met uh, my husband who was divorced with two kids, and I thought, wonderful, I, I can have, I, I can kind of have my own kids, um, but not really, because they live with their mom, and the younger one at the time when we got married was six, so I thought, perfect, you know, and I created a very special bond with her, but unfortunately, they moved to the States, uh, I'm in Canada. And as a result, I haven't been 
close to the younger one and I kind of lost that uh, feeling of being around them. They would stay with us for long weekends and a few weeks at a time for Christmas or summertime. Um, because of that void and because uh, maybe only because that I've been trying to work on myself, I've realized, and I like my marriage, I realized uh, what a mistake. I could have a life of my own and maybe this will be the solution to reduce my unhealthy attachments to my brother and my mom and this burden that I put on myself because I will now have a legitimate reason to take care of something of my own. Well, there might be a, ch a chicken or the egg, and I, I wouldn't want you, you know, to bring a child into this world so that it will remove or reduce your attachment, you know, because that almost puts a burden on your child or this responsibility or intention in the child. And really, you know, the intention is I want to have a child to be a mother and to bring a child into to be the parent to that child. So um, it might be that you'll have to reduce some of that or the, the attachment before you have a kid. But I'd also want to be careful not to say wait till that happens because that might not happen either. So you might have to go ahead and, and work through it kind of like a parallel process of realizing just by having a child, I'm allowed to have a child. I'm allowed to have my own life, enjoy my own life, to feel good. Um, I'm not here just to serve others or to make sure they're okay and even you know you said being born during the war your own childhood not being very good it seems like an anxiety being a part of the family there is this sense of surviving more than living that is coming through more which you probably experienced from a young age and have internalized as kind of a mm -hmm. life philosophy or force driving you forward that you're not supposed to do things you really like so much as make sure everything is okay um and so I, I hope if you really have that desire to have a child, and I'm glad you're in therapy, as I said, and I appreciate you calling me, and I'm glad we got to talk, but to explore these issues more deeply in your therapy, that what's what's making you want to have a child, and if it's for the right reasons, I hope you will go for that and make that happen, of course, if your husband also wants that as well. Has he expressed that he wants to have a child with you? Initially, when uh, we got married, I, I think it was clear to him that uh, I didn't want any right. and he because he had his own he was fine with that plan um, I've tried I've, I've been expressing the desire to maybe have have one and again the maybe is very big and bold for me because I wonder if I can handle all of this um, you know to with with a human being in my life that I would be responsible for so um, therefore, all of this work that I'm doing on myself to try to help myself um, get better. The answer is uh, he's he's going through with it. He's uh, but he's also okay. raised some concerns because of my yeah. Well, I do have to. I, you know, I, I do. I apologize. We have to wrap yeah. up the show, but um, I will say, you know, you said, can I take care of a, a human being? And it seems like you've been doing a lot of that already. Um, but it would be letting go of the people that you don't need, that are not your responsibility, and of course taking care of this one that is, that would be that shift. So I think you could handle that. Um, and, and I hope if you want that, you won't not you know give it to yourself. Of course, being a parent is a selfless thing, but you also get something fulfilling from that experience. But in a lot of your life, it seems like you didn't feel like you deserved what you wanted. It didn't really matter. And I hope you'll recognize how wrong that automatic feeling is and that to give yourself what you want is actually your right and even your responsibility is to do that rather than to make sure everyone else is okay. We do have to wrap up 
but I wish you the best. I'm glad you're in therapy to continue looking at these things, and it was nice to talk to you. Same here. Thank you very much for your time. Sure. Take care. All right. Cheers. That brings us to the end of today's show. Big thank you to Ghazala here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulak. We have a wonderful day. Thank you.